Sluts and Scholars, where we make your sex smarter and your smart sexier. I'm Simone. And I'm Nicoletta. And this week, we have Dr. Chantel Tibbles, the author of Exposure, a sociologist explores sex, society, and adult entertainment. So basically, she does what we're trying to do here on this podcast. You know how whenever you read an article in Cosmo or Teen Vogue and Dr. So-and-so is referenced? Well, Chantel is that doctor. So journalists reach out to her on the regular to answer their and their readers' most most pressing questions about sociological behavior regarding sex, sexuality, and adult entertainment. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys for having me. Um, So we just want to know from the get-go, how, as an academic, did sex become your main point of focus? You know, it was kind of sort of a serendipitous, accident because when I was in graduate school, I started studying the adult entertainment industry. I, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles. And so that's where porn, especially back then, was really situated. Hey, Valley. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> Most people who live in the Valley, like forever, have no idea, which is so funny. But, um, and as I was moving through my own work, I started to realize that it was really something that made people very uncomfortable, not just the sex media aspect of what I was you know, interested in exploring and that impact on our social behavior, but also just these ideas about sex in general. So what I essentially started doing was poking around and exploring more questions because the fact that it was making people so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. sort of kind of set off an alarm in my head, um, letting me know that these were questions we really, really needed to focus on, areas we needed to consider and stuff that we needed to really take more seriously. Absolutely. I think Nicoletta and I are very much in that same boat where we just want to talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about. And figure out why we're so weird about it. In your, in your sociology studies, what have you found to be, you think, some of the core things that are maybe going on culturally, like in our country, that are affecting the way people talk about sex? Oh, geez. Well, I think that the um, probably the main important key primary thing, actually, I'd say two. Um, one is focused and centered around sex education, really more about our lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, uh, I I mean, I don't remember the exact statistic in terms of states, but I believe it's something like you're not required to have medically accurate information um, in private schools. Public schools have different options that they can, you know, give to students, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's a lot of play in terms of just basic human biology. What and the then- fuck? Can you imagine <laughs> if people were like, you could, I guess, no, it is kind of like that. I was going to say, you can teach what kind of, you know, physics or geology or biology. Can but you imagine? You can. You actually can. You can choose to teach creationism, right? Yes. Why I- is American education a la carte? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. And it's a really, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be on board for the same form of sex expression. Like, that's totally cool. You do you with your sex way of being. Like, that's totally <laughs> You fine. do you with your sex way of being. How, how, when you use the term sex expression, what do you mean? 
any of it. I mean, people don't have to, if you believe that, for instance, life begins at conception, that's fine. If you believe that sex is a sacred expression of emotion, that's fine. If you believe sex is a commodity that can be sold in the marketplace and an expression of intense emotion, all those things are fine. As Mm -hmm. long as consent is involved, that is great. Mm -hmm. But But it brings up the question, can you consent if you're not informed? Well, there's a, that's a really interesting question. But the idea that people aren't getting even the most basic information about how your body functions, much less how different bodies at different times of the life course function, because that's another thing we don't even think about. Sex education and, and, and you know our wider lexicon and conversation is rightfully very focused and centered mm-hmm. on, you know, young person, you know, maybe school aged, whatever that is, developmental, you know, childhood to adolescence kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's great and that's important. But the idea that, you know, we're fucking that up in the first place. Yeah. We're not even thinking about what happens sex as you age, sex as you transition from your twenties to your thirties, your thirties to your forties. When you have different meanings, it becomes, you know, we don't even talk, sex education, the idea of sex education for, say, a 25-year-old or a 45-year-old, that's not even a, we're so light years away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's that that issue, right? So the, the sex education piece, which is such a giant conversation that we could yeah. talk about for an endless amount of time, is one thing I think that's really shaping um our social interaction with sex. And I think the second one is, um, and, and there's so many of them, these are just me kind of off the cuff, but I'm thinking of, but the second one that's I think very significant is our relationship with technology and with media as it relates to sex and sex behavior. So the idea about what constitutes a quote unquote real relationship, mm. um, what constitutes real communication, what constitutes honesty, dishonesty, how are you speaking, you know, how are you speaking about sex and intimacy with your partner when you're also talking over here to somebody else, all of that, like the way technology has impacted our way of human connections that may or may not manifest in physical sex, but there is some sort of chemical expression going on. I think that that's a whole nother thing that we have never experienced as humans and we're struggling with it I'd say <laughs> what do you think are our biggest struggles in that space well I mean if you if you take you know people who all of us right who have you know, we come from a very puritanical you know United States of American culture we have very relatively limited understanding of sex or sex behavior we have all of these wider social norms and social forces that are telling us, hey, this is how you're quote unquote supposed to be versus not this way. And that doesn't mean we necessarily internalize them, but social forces and wider social norms are huge. I mean, that's where they're called social forces. They're hugely impactful. And this idea of what we should and shouldn't be doing is very significant. Mm -hmm. And then the social sanctioning that comes after if we don't obey those quote unquote rules. So, you know, you take all of this stuff and then you give somebody a smartphone mm-hmm. and it sounds so trivializing and yet it's wildly true. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about, and this is just, I don't even know why this is the example that pops into my head, but let's just think about Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rosdale. How Ooh. long that guy? <laughs> what happened? Like, what happened? How do you not know? How do you know? not know? <laughs> I'm 
just give me the lowdown, Dr. <laughs> Tibbles. Don't question why I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, like, don't quote me on all the, like, point of facts here, but long story short, Gavin Rosdale was banging the long-term nanny, <gasps> part of their family, and the reason why, like, so they have their first child, their second child, the banging sort of happened right after that, and then a third pregnancy, and then another child was born while he was, while the nanny was in this, this whole thing was happening, and the way that this relationship issue came to light was through some sort of sexting and eye clouding and uploading and share cloud sorting, blah, blah, blah. I have no idea. They were all on the same cloud. Yeah, do you, cloud. do you watch yes. that show it, Black Mirror? I have heard of it and I've watched a couple episodes or little bits and pieces, but I never really got into it. But I hear it's amazing. It's really so fucking I don't, good. Well, there's this, I don't know what I missed. There's this <laughs> one episode and it's scary because it's so close to reality and it's like you can get this chip put in your head that you can rewind every interaction you've been in or even maybe see other people's interactions and revisit it. And so this man finds out that his wife has been cheating on him through being able to, like, revisit. And it, it sort of, I don't know, I think, like, it touches on so many sociological and therapeutic things, like when people get in fights in the office. You know, a lot of people go into that fact-checking mode. They were like, you know, look at this text you sent. You said this. And, like, no, I know you said this. And kind of getting into the history of it and how much mm -hmm. tension that causes in relationships, that fact-checking. Yeah. yeah. And it's an interesting thing to think about, too, because— when you think about communication, right, it doesn't, every relationship in, in your life or in one's life, be it romantic, be it friend, whatever, it doesn't have to last forever. And, you know, we struggle with these things. And, and this is not to trivialize relationships or trivialize when they end because it can often be very painful. But the idea that we are completely unable to communicate about them, that's the thing that's extra special, ironic, and really kind of tragic in 2017. It is not easier to communicate or correspond with mm -hmm. any person than it ever has been. I mean, you can talk to people I, on a daily basis. I speak to people who are time zones away from me. It's, it's one day ahead where they are because they're that much further on the other side of the planet kind yeah. of thing. It's so amazing what we can do now. And yet at the same time, we are putting ourselves further and further yeah. and further in tiny little boxes. We can completely excommunicate people from our little social virtual circles who don't agree with us necessarily. We don't want to interact with, we can completely isolate and it's distressing. And I'm not quite sure why it's distressing because I don't know. And I, you know, I try to do a lot of like self-reflection in my sociology and try to uh -huh. remember that I, as a sociologist, am also a person. And it's one of the things that is really troubling to me as a researcher and an academic and such is when people forget that people who are like making up the rules and writing the papers are also people too. So like yeah. we have feelings about this stuff. Right. So, so I often wonder when I talk about these things, I'm like, is it just me as a person who's like, you know, right in that, that space between generation X and generation Y, you know, I'm still a little young, but I'm still a little bit older. And am I romanticizing some sort of correspondence that I thought mm. used to be there? And I wonder, but at the same time too, I, I also interact with people and I'm like, just respond. Why can't we talk about this? So it's, it's a, it's definitely, you know, there's two sides to every coin at mm -hmm. least. And so I try to think about the other side too, but it's, it's an interesting 
time that we're living in when you think about technology and its impact. I mean, it's tough because we support sort of both both sides of the coin. I mean, we have, you know, porn stars and adult entertainers coming in that sort of are on the technology advancement side. And then as a, as a therapist or as people, I think we also support human connection. But I wonder what we can do to be ethical consumers of all this technology. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think the first and, and really the foremost thing that we can all do in general is to realize that there's no one way to be. And I think that's the most important thing. And it's, it's hard because there's our, you know, our way of being, right? The thing that works for you. And that thing is cool, whatever it is, as long as consent is involved, you know, like mm-hmm. that. But, but the idea that we need to remember that, you know, a quote unquote real relationship, let's just say, is certainly talking to somebody in real life, face to face, whatever. But it also 100% can be speaking to somebody air quote speaking, because again, you could be corresponding with somebody via chat forever and have a hundred percent real relationship with that person. And it's just the communication is different or the spatial relationship is different. And that's real too. So I think, you know, the key thing to always keep in mind when we're thinking about these questions Mm -hmm. is that it, it really, it does, it takes all kinds and what works for one doesn't necessarily work for the next. And that's okay. Yeah. The idea of kind of you know, taking the time and doing the work to think about it is is a big step I think we could all do. And that would really kind of move us forward. Yeah, you brought up something um, before about how you're wondering if, that, that you're also just a person too. And even mm-hmm. though you're, you know, grappling with these bigger ideas and abstract thoughts about how we as humans have social, like what our social behaviors are vis-a-vis sex and sex expression. And I'm just wondering how, if at all, you feel your profession has had an impact on your personal life, if at all, and how you mitigate those two things. You know, for a, it's a really interesting question. For a long time, when I was younger and still in school, basically, I kept my professional life and my personal life very, very, very separate. And I think part of the reason why I did that was because um, the university environment I was in was so hostile towards these sorts of questions in this hmm. area and stuff like that. Where was and this? And so I... <laughs> oh, do, sorry, do you mean the specific university or being at university? Oh, the, it was the, the university environment I was in was pretty hostile. But mm-hmm. in, in general, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing to reflect on now because this is, we're talking like 2006, 2007, 2008, over 10 years ago, a little bit less than 10 years now. And our world has seemingly changed quite significantly in terms of thinking about these questions. Now, I would argue that that significant change is actually quite superficial, but we can get to that in a minute. If you don't mind us asking, what kind of hostility are we talking, like, towards women, towards the field of sexuality? Like, Oh, it was, you know, it's just a, a, like, it's it's all just um, academic sort of silliness, really and truly. You know, it's, I think about it now, and it's very kind of, things that can be very upsetting when you're younger and you're in an environment, it's, uh, how to say, it's, it becomes less important when you start to see the forest through the trees, so Mm -hmm. to speak. But, 
But anything from, you know, work not being published, um, there's different um, avenues that you go through, for instance, to publish academic research. And so, you know, I would do this academically rigorous research and there would be no peer that could review the content to publish it because it was such an unstudied place because before I started doing the work that I do, people didn't actually, it's so weird to think about this, people didn't actually talk to people who worked in adult entertainment. There was a lot of talking about. Really? There was a lot of talking to, oh yeah. Well, there's still there's still a lack of study too of, yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but of people in the adult entertainment because a lot of folks I know in it don't want to be studied because they, well, they don't want the stigma. The, yeah, or, huh. yeah. I would think that the importance well, of including the, performers' voices the, is like paramount. You would think, right? But yeah. that's when people get, when people, that's the thing with sex. It makes people very uncomfortable. It's one of the, I mean, you maybe religion and politics where people can have no idea what they're talking about and yet somehow get really riled up and angry about it. And you see people who are very, very uncomfortable with other people's choices. And on the flip side, you know, people within the industry who are doing the labor who have been not just stigmatized like oh there's that person over there but like routinely and legally discriminated against within our culture in terms of housing in terms of healthcare and healthcare mm-hmm. access in terms of banking in terms of i mean i know a woman who's had her horse kicked out of a horse stable because somebody in the horse stable recognized her she was a performer <gasps> and another you're kidding me horse Oh, it's 100% true, right? Nicoletta's a big horse person. Yeah, I'm a horse person. They are welcome at my barn. Contact me. (laughs) (laughs) This was a while ago. But that, I mean, the idea of that, that's bananas. And yet that's the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a community, you can imagine how you wouldn't want somebody like, hey, let me study you. So there's a lot of barriers for various reasons, long, long, long histories of building these barriers. So, you know, when talking about trying to do work and trying to do work in a positive way, you know, there's definitely Mm -hmm. a a lot of barriers to say the least. And so to go back to your question, all the way back around (laughs) in terms of, (coughs) excuse me, in terms of, um, you know, an impact on my personal life or life in general, Sorry, I was drinking water. Um, That's totally allowed. We are very supportive of hydration and self-care here at Sluts and Sollers. (laughs) And non-coughing while you're talking. (laughs) So there's always a very big separation, not because I felt necessarily compelled for there to be a separation, but because of the fallout that would occur in terms of my getting through school, getting publications, getting these, these steps that were needed. And, you know, so I definitely negotiated that the best I could. And when I was finally done, I was definitely done in many, many respects. So, you know, currently there's not really much of, I just sort of do my own thing. That works for me. You expressed this like intense hostility that you were facing at the beginning of your career. How do you think or why do you think you're able to be like, fuck that, I'm pushing through, this is important. Like, (laughs) how do you think you had the the gumption, the wherewithal, whatever you want to call it, to, to press on? (laughs) persist I don't know I think ever since I was a little kid that if somebody told me I could not do something then that was the only thing that I was going to do oh yeah I I, I feel (laughs) yeah 
I feel you. <laughs> As a consequence, I was told that, that I wasn't going to be able to do this. And so that was, became the only thing that I was going to do. That sounds Which is just not, like us. It, it's, it's not, but I mean, really and truly, I know that, you know, we romanticize motivation and whatever. And you're like, oh, you know, I want to help or I want to support or I want to make the world a better place or I want this or that. And then those are great. But like anger and proving somebody wrong, those aren't exactly the world's best motivators. But I mean, whatever, I guess whatever gets the job done. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of the term slut as a sociologist Um, and how it's used? I don't know. I mean, that's a really loaded question. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I think that like a lot of words, there's a longer history to it that definitely changes and has changed and evolved over time. So the word slut today had a different meaning, maybe more or less positive that I don't know because I, you know, going through the whole lexicon off the top of my head. Um, So, you know, Definitely something that changes. I think also, too, that every aspect of language and every aspect of like symbolic communication, there's so much to the delivery. You can use the kindest word, you know, and it can be used in a negative way. Mm. So I think connotation is extremely important. And I, I think really, like a lot of stuff related to sex and identity, it comes down to consent and it comes down to ownership. And if an individual is comfortable with whatever language, then whatever language is cool with me. Now, there's also, again, the flip of that coin, which comes up a lot. And I don't necessarily agree with this, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't raise it, Mm -hmm. is the idea of people being complicit in their own... um, I don't know, marginalization, let's just say. And you hear that rhetoric quite a bit, you know, Mm -hmm. people saying, oh, you know, if you own, for instance, the word slut, then what you're really doing is just marginalizing yourself. I don't, uh, yeah, you've never, that's a, there's a whole big language, there's a whole big discussion. It's, um, I kind of want to talk a little bit. definitely not my area of expertise because I do not necessarily align with that. But there's, um, you know, there's a lot of that type of discussion, which again, I would be remiss if I didn't raise it, not because I agree with it, but because that gets at this multifaceted way of thinking about things. Right. And the idea that there are a group of people out there who might say, hey, the use of the word slut, even if you're like, I own this, I love this, this is a word, I connect with it, it's great, I'm familiar with the history, I understand that it's a contested term, but I like it right now. Like, even if you're that, the idea that there are these if we ignore those, mm-hmm. what we're doing is ignoring different dimensions. And again, you don't have to agree with all the dimensions, but the idea that there are other standpoints out there. I feel like those people are in the same camp as like victim blamers or like what was she wearing camp. Like Possibly. They're also generally in the like sort of anti-sex camp. Anti-sex work, yeah. Well, we, I mean, yeah. obviously I like, I like our title because I made, we made the title. <laughs> but at the same time, we invite, you know, we want our listeners and, and people listening to decide for themselves and figure yeah. out what's right for them. And so we welcome that dialogue that you're talking about. I wonder, yeah. also going back to what you were talking about, just sort of things you had to face in the field, um, how have other academics responded to things that you have studied related to sexuality? 
Like, are they jealous because you, like, for fun, get to, like, work at an adult entertainment, like, producer where they have to, like, go sit in a study carol in a library for, like, 12 hours? There is, you know, there's some amazing work that people get to do. I I know, like, this is the first guy who pops into my head. Um, This guy from the Bay Area has been studying DJs and DJ culture for his whole life. Oh my god, so he like, has to go clubbing for oh, research guy purposes? Oh, has to go to Coachella. He has to, he has to go clubbing. He has to know a lot about music. He has to make sure his young daughter also is super music savvy. He has to teach pop culture and music. I mean, his life is really rough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I mean, he, that's, but there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of amazing stuff out there. And uh, again, I think... The main cue here is that not only it's it's sex, but then there's also the type of sex-specific media that I work with, work in, study, all of that. And there is something about the idea of commercial sex that's very also very sort of isolated in a very close-knit community makes people extremely uncomfortable. And hmm. again, I... I have, it's, how, it's, it's just, how has that, how has that discomfort been expressed towards you or at you? Um, well, it's been a while since this happened, but I have had people refuse to speak on panels or at conferences with me. Hmm. That you're on? <laughs> yes. Um, wow. that was, that, that was fun. Um, talk about like, sc- your scarlet letters are PhD. <laughs> Right. I think they're probably PhD slash XXX or something. I don't know. There's like an amalgamation there that people don't like. But, the, you know, there's, there's that. Things like that. Um, more interestingly, though, I would have to say is I periodically get contacted by people from other universities. And they, I don't know how to say it delicately, ask very inappropriate questions. Oh, uh, interesting. Like what? Like, can I go on a set with you uh, was one. <laughs> like a porn set? Like go on a porn set? Yes, yes. Um, a person, you know, had no business in, um, that, that wasn't their area of study at all, but they wanted to come as like a like a guest or something. I don't quite know. It was a strange request. What um, was their field I- of study? <laughs> the world is very small. Okay, no need, no need. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> Just tell us other whack requests you get from from well, air, paper airplanes thrown down from ivory towers. <laughs> Notes written on them. One, one really interesting one, which I thought was actually, it made me, I hate to say that it made me feel sad because that sounds like I'm sort of, you know, oh, poor baby, some another adult. But I had a person contact me um, with a, a name, with an email address that struck me like that's a pseudonym, you know, and I am very, you know, like, very like, if I don't know who you are, I'm not going to speak frankly with you in email <laughs> correspondence. So I was like, hey, you know, whoever you are, super nice to talk to you. Can you tell me more? Is there a link to you that I can look at this, that, and the other? And it was this really interesting exchange with the person. Long story short, um, this was a very, very high-profile person from a very high-profile university that had, like, <laughs> several layers of pseudonyms. Um, and this person felt like that was the way to get their questions answered. But were they- like, they had to go through these, like, 
identity, identity, identity. Well, I mean, that is kind of, sad, kind of sad, But right? I, I agree with you that it is kind of sad, but I'm just curious, were there, were there questions academic in nature, or they were like, I have these personal sex questions that I'm going to ask the sociologists of sex? sort of theoretical in nature. So, like, <laughs> if, one, wait, if some was to do this, what would they need? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not like like my friend wanted me to. Ask. <laughs> not like theoretical like that. More like you know, it, like it, there's a lot of different um, ideas about power and control, especially related to BDSM and things like that, and yeah. ideas about how power is exchanged, for mm-hmm. instance. And, you know, this was a person who really it seemed like they wanted to have an intellectual conversation about, you know, power. Power is a like a standard sociology concept. You know, if you had to write a list of like five sociology basics, power would be on that list. And it's a huge concept. But the idea of power, this person wanted to talk about power as it's exchanged in various sex behaviors and sex relationships, um, and also within different contexts. So, you know, being filmed versus in a private setting mm. like a versus in like a public setting, like a dungeon or like a commercial exchange. And it was really interesting because, again, I don't mean to, it sounds like I'm being like sort of patronizing, like, oh, I felt so sorry. Like, oh, poor guy, person, blah, blah, whoever. And I don't mean it like that when I said that. I really felt a huge amount of sympathy because there was nothing in my opinion, inappropriate or off mark or strange or even non-intellectual out of this questions conversation. But the idea that somebody felt that they had to go through so many different layers to have a discussion about just stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's, I think that's so sad that, you know, people don't feel that they can ask these questions without either getting in trouble or having their emails be like looked into or seen as inappropriate. But I'm curious, just to all of our listeners, when you email us at slutsandscholars at gmail.com, you can totally use your real name. We'll never tell anybody. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you to the listeners that have used their real names. We have, but we understand if you feel nervous. Anyway, go ahead. Ask your question. Well, to, to sort of go on a segue for a second, but it will come back to something that's pertinent. Um, I was getting a bikini wax today. And my, <laughs> She's um, about to go on vacation. My esthetician was talking about um, trying to get pregnant, and she was like, I wish somebody would have told me growing up like what I really needed to know about getting pregnant and the windows of ovulation and all these things. Like Nobody teaches you that. So I wonder in your studies what do you think are some things that you really wish were in kind of mainstream sex education that people sh- should know? Yeah. Oh, geez. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a really a good, that's a good question for like a sex educator more so than me, but I would, I could say for sure that I wish that people knew that I wish people were taught in school that sex on television or sex on the computer, and it can be porn sex. It can be amateur sex. It could be sex in game of Thrones that that sex is performed, if there's people connected, there's intimacy, they might hate each other, they might love each other, there's real quote-unquote people doing the stuff, so you can't say that it's not real, but that it's a performance. Performance, yeah, Yeah, definitely. It's a a performance, and especially in the case of porn, we're talking about a performance done by professionals. So just like when you go to a Cirque du Soleil show in Las Vegas, you don't go, hey, if I get that scarf out of my closet, I can definitely tie it to the 
and spin down and I won't hurt myself. That's like that's the way it's done. Excellent analogy. That is a great analogy. I do wish I could do that with my scarf, but I wish I could do that too, but I know that I can't. And I don't know who explained <laughs> that to me, but yeah. I know that the people who work at Cirque du Soleil or work in those shows. There's hours and hours and years. Yeah, don't try this at yes, home. Practice. Yes. And it's there's, about there's and- lights. And yeah. there's music, and they—I mean, I went to one once. I can't even remember which one it was, but I know they were spraying stuff in the air because it smelled amazing in there. And I there's all of this sensate stuff that is done. That's part. It's theatrical, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Which people understood that even though the people who are actually physically having copulation, which sounds like what is that word? That's happening. <laughs> Boning, that's what we call it here. I'm trying to clinical it down. (laughs) They're making love. They're pile driving. Intercourse. Doing some sort of bodily touching, sliding across one another is happening. Yes, that's real. But there's all this other stuff that goes to it. And I don't know how you would... put that into a sex ed lesson well, especially do you feel like yeah. it comes that's more that's more in kind of unpacking our own issues with talking about sex especially parents talking about sex to their to their children especially maybe when they're younger because since kids are watching porn at such a young age it feels like you got to get them really early before they start witnessing this sex as performance versus sex for as pleasure or sex as copulation or yeah. whatever so maybe i don't know just something that i'm thinking about is, is that Perhaps we need to figure out how to facilitate those conversations between parents and children or guardians, whomever is is raising a child. And early 100%. on. Absolutely. 100%. You should talk to your kids about substance use. You should talk to your kids about dangerous things that humans create that can hurt you. And you should definitely talk to your kids about sex stuff. Now, we live in an unfortunate time where... Kid, I mean, I have a young niece, and she doesn't even have any books anymore. She has an iPad. Mm-hmm. No books at all? She has no books. and she How is she reading power- A Wrinkle in Time? She's reading a digital copy of her She's probably going to wait for the movie to come out soon. No. No, she's actually reading it. The book, oh, she's little, the book first. Reader. That's such but a good book. She, and she can make these, these PowerPoints that I'm like, how do you, what magic is this? Like this visual representation of her little schoolwork. It's really amazing. So she's using these tools. It's super amazing. She's 13 years old. Wow. And that's great. But she also has open internet access to anything she wants to do when she goes to Starbucks, for instance, and her parents aren't around. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's teaching young people to be digitally technologically savvy how you do that I have no idea I'm not an educator of young people much less a sex educator but these are questions that we have to think about and when people are like oh not my kid yes your kid everyone's all the kids all the kids just as as we love the theater and we love performances we do you know despite knowing that it's not reality we do love porn in a lot of ways so we actually found you because I believe you were involved with this company called shh um, we were curious how you got involved with them. Oh, yeah. So it, it's actually pronounced shush. Oh, shush. And, shush. Um, it's yes, shush. I know. It's interesting because it's spelled like S-S-S-H dot com. But right. yeah, they say it's shush. So shush is um, the, like one of the founding um, online digital porn companies out there. A company's been around since 1999. Wow. Can you believe that? That's a yeah, different millennium. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
And um, the founder of the company and their main director is this woman named Angie Roundtree. Mm -hmm. And Angie is very, 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 probably because she's been on the digital or in the digital world for so long with sex media, very, very committed to education and, you know, things like that. And so she and I work together on a lot of different projects, actually, that are her passion projects and definitely overlie with my interests related to the adult industry. So she has this thing called Sex Talk Tuesday, for instance, where they have, you know, anybody from a porn performer to a sex educator to a person who has developed an interesting new sex toy. They have Twitter chats where you can, you know, talk and ask questions. That's one thing that she does. Amazing. Ooh. Yeah, we we produce these shows called Mind Brows, which are quarterly live stream shows where we get people who are in the industry, you know, performers, producers, agents, people who are currently actively working in adult entertainment to talk about like deep, big questions. So we did one on consent. Uh, we did another one on, you know, the difference between mainstream representations of sex and industry representations of sex. Mm. And we live stream these, like, basically open forum discussions so wow. people can watch, the, the watch and then they're interactive so you can tweet your questions. So we work on a lot of different projects. And one of our newest things that we started was this thing called ethical.porn, which What's is... What's that? What, it's amazing. <laughs> um, it's a website that is only about people in the adult entertainment industry. So again, active, current performers, producers, directors, agents, you name it, but people from all over the industry talking about what they think ethical issues are in terms mm. of production. Ooh, interesting. And I got is. some research to do. Some reading to <laughs> yeah, do, I guess, or great. viewing or whatever. Yeah. So if, yeah, if, if people... If people were to follow uh, your work now, what are you researching or working on now? Is there anything we can sort of stay tuned for, or keep our eyes and ears peeled for? Well, I'm always doing um, new articles and sort of small sociological projects. And really and truly, you know, I'm a public scholar now. So I'm no longer doing conventional papers or studies right. in that way. Really and truly, the reason why I shifted was because of the access. You know, I would spend two years doing research and, you know, write a paper and then it would be in an academic journal that nobody outside of, you know, a university could access. So I, I really kind of got away from that because it, it, it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was serving the community. It wasn't serving our wider society and it definitely wasn't serving me. So I do, again, like I said, like a lot of um, public work in terms of workshops, writing, articles, etc. So there's always something brewing in that respect. Well, awesome. Chantal, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to hire you, reach you, follow the work that you're doing, um, how can they get a hold of you? You can always go to my website, which is just ChantelTibbles.com. And I am a very active Twitter person. Yes. A tweeter, a twatter. I'm a tweeter and a twatter, I can tell you. <laughs> and my Twitter is at Dr. Chantel. It's just D-R, then Chantel, my first name. And like I said, always on there, always happy to chat. Ah, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. We really appreciated you taking the time. We know as a publicly embedded sociologist, you're a very <laughs> busy person. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, that's sadly all we have time for this week. But uh, if you like this episode, make sure to review and subscribe. You can follow us at Sluts and Scholars on Instagram and on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And if you have anything you want to email us with a pseudonym or without, you can go ahead and do that at Sluts and Scholars. <laughs> 
at gmail.com. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Bye. See you next time. Peace.